Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 340. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I've got a writer and a writer that is near and dear to my heart because as soon as I saw this book come across my feed, I go, I got to read this. And literally in that moment, I found where I could order it from. It was University of Hell Press. I chose my color. Because it comes in a variety of colors, and you can only get that if you order through University of Hell Press, which you can find on the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us or in the show notes. Mine's purple, and the book is called Glory Guitars, Memoir of a 90s Teenage Punk Rock Girl. Today, my guest is Gogo Germain, and she is the author of this terrific book. Now, a lot of things here that put this book firmly in my wheelhouse. One, it's a memoir of a 90s teenage punk rock girl. My God, that's my crew, right? That's what I love. That's who I hung out with. I'd love to dig into that and get a nice nostalgia hit of that kind of thing. Secondly, it takes place in Fort Collins. So, I mean, Fort Collins and Golden, not that different from each other. And in the 90s, both real, real boring. And so I dug into this thing. I devoured it. We sat down at Mutiny Information Cafe, one of our favorite places. I just gave them money, like whenever that was, to help them settle their tax bill. And what's funny is, as you listen to this episode, you'll hear there's like music playing. At one point, one of the owners comes by and shows a patron where some stuff is. So like there's this background conversation. But Gogo and I vibed immediately. It was terrific. Like we just connected. We had a fantastic conversation. I loved this book. So I could not wait to dig into it. And we cover a lot. I mean, we talk about rebellion. We talk about youth. We talk about perspective. We talk about parenting. We talk about writing. There's a lot here, and it flies by. I mean, we talked for almost an hour, and it didn't feel like that. It felt like it went by in 10 minutes. So I suspect when you listen to it, you'll feel the same way, and I'm thrilled to highlight the work of someone like Gogo. Now, a couple of notes. I mentioned the companion blog piece. Go there, because I'll have links to where you can not only buy the book, but on November 19th, at Mutiny, she is doing her last Colorado book release party, and it's a Riot Girl party. So all the details... We'll be there. There's a link. You can buy tickets to that. Be sure to check that out. So that's at johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. It is also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, wherever you get your pods, you can find it there. Just click that link and go check out GoGo's show. And hey, as long as you're there, would you be so kind as to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. And you know what? The reviews, the ratings, they help us move up. How? No one really knows. But the consensus is it helps. So thank you for your patronage. Now then, let's get to episode 340 of the John of All Trades podcast. I've got Gogo Germain. She is the author of Glory Guitars, memoir of a 90s teenage punk rock girl. And her episode starts right now. My favorite thing is everything because it's the everything of it. The fact that they have like used books and local authors. They support local authors. Yeah. I love the people who own this place. They have so much heart and they support the community. And um, it's just a 
place that I want to go culturally whenever I have anything like a podcast or an interview right. or like a meeting. I'm like, let's go to Mutiny. Yeah, the vibe feels, how do I say this? Like at home. Yeah. Right? Like anytime I come in here, I go, oh, these are my people. Exactly. It's like the there are those places in every town that are like the counterculture places. Yeah. And you, you feel at home if you are countercultural. Yeah. And um, this is definitely it. And like just all the little touches that they have like pinball machines and like cereal. <laughs> I know. I saw the cereal. It's all the Halloween cereal today. Yeah. I've never ordered cereal here, but I just like that it's here. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice as an option, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, that's cute. I like that. Well, it's funny because in reading your book, you mentioned Paris on the Pooter, which I was unaware existed. Yes. Um, it's like the Paris. It was like Paris on the Platte. It, that's what Collins. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like my friends, so I grew up in Golden. They would all come down to like Paris on the Platte and, you know, smoke strawberry cigarettes and like do that whole like it was it was very like almost putting on airs yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> but like filled with all these dirt bags yeah like and yes. it was just so charming it is it's totally like there's that like teenager imposter syndrome i remember like when you first started <laughs> going to paris on the pooter you were like oh my god i got to like wear these clothes or you're like looking around you're like i need more black clothing i need yeah. to start smoking cloves <laughs> i did smoke cloves for a while did you yeah yep uh-huh what was your brand um, I forget. They were just like black, right? <laughs> Aren't they just like all black? <laughs> like the Jarum Blacks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I smoked the Jarum Bally Highs. Oh, uh-huh. You know, they had like that seascape kind of, uh, you know, it was like very tropical looking. Yes. We, we used to call the Blacks Black Deaths. Oh, okay. Perfect for yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very on brand. Uh-huh. For Gogo Germain, who is sitting across from me, I just finished Glory Guitar's memoir of a 90s teenage punk rock girl and loved it. Thank you. It was phenomenal. I saw it come across my feed. I don't remember where or how, but one night, and I saw it, and I go, I have to read this. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because we're approximately the same age. So, mm-hmm. like, I graduated high school in 2000. Nice. Grew up in Golden. Went to CSU. So, like, it, the fact that it took place in Fort Collins. Wow. And that these are, like, Denver and Fort Collins, like, that whole axis, Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins, is kind of, like, underrated punk country. Yes. Like, it's weird because... It's I, true. I, I have a friend who lives in Houston. He goes, why is Denver such a good punk town? I, yeah. go, I don't really know. I have theories. Yeah? What is it? Well, so I had cousins who were who grew up in California where everything was, like, actually cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they actually, like, whenever we would hang out with them, they thought that I was, like, really funny and interesting and cultural. I would just say something normal and they'd be like, oh, wow. And I was like, why... Are, why i was like analyzing this and i think that when you have less things to do like they had so many things to do they were like blink 182 like lives here and they basically throw a concert like every week and like (laughs) then we go surfing and then we do all these things and i was like your lives are so cool but like in fort collins there was like nothing to do yeah but you have to develop your own fun yeah (laughs) and your own like i mean counterculture is something to do (laughs) so i don't know i feel like sometimes it takes a little bit of boredom to bring out a more culture and creativity b the trouble yeah and c like it was more boring it was more suffocating and so we were probably a little bit angrier (laughs) i think so because i grew up in the mountains and so before we had a car you could like hike yeah. Or, or, or like ride your bike and yeah. it was just stiflingly dull. Yeah. 
So you're seeking, like, so this book is about you seeking the maximalist amount of feelings yes. that you could possibly get. And I read your interview with John Moore in the Denver Gazette, and he captured this book really, really beautifully. He absolutely did. I loved how he wrote about it. Yeah, and it was frustrating for me professionally just because I'm like, what the fuck am I going to talk about now? <laughs> like, I feel like just pointing people at that. Um, <laughs> You're like, okay, podcast over. Yeah. Go read John Moore's piece. <laughs> well, yeah, hit pause right now, read that, and then yeah. come back, and hopefully we cover yeah. something different. Which We I'm- will go out on crazy limbs that's right (laughs) so okay you mentioned that's your kind of theory about why like a good punk scene develops you need Mm -hmm. something to kind of rub up against something to push against and we're all looking for community and we're looking for feeling i have a pet theory that i want to run by you oh yes i would love to hear it okay so kids today this is like an old man yells at cloud kind of thing too (laughs) but uh i fear for kids of today because when it comes to pot booze uh, smoking and pornography. I think kids today have it far too easy. Yeah. (laughs) It's so easily accessible. Right. Because, so think about this. Like, when we were growing up, if you wanted to smoke pot, it was probably some schwag, some ditch weed. Yeah. And it smelled awful and it tasted awful. Now, you can eat like a fucking gummy bear and get high. Oh, my God. An actual gummy bear. It's like so lovely. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Right. You were drinking vodka that tasted like paint thinner. Yeah. Or, like, cheap beer that tasted awful, and now you can get, like, cotton candy-flavored vodka. Yeah. Or, or like, a Smirnoff Ice or something. Yeah. Porn, like, you could type in any actor or actress's name and find even a deep fake of them naked, and that would probably do the trick. Yes. Like, the They're st- so spoiled. The story in your book about going to the book ranch, which still stands. <laughs> yeah. Right? You, you had to go yeah. and face a real person yeah. and buy actual pornography that was like a physical thing, yeah. not just it was so on your humiliating. phone. humiliating. Yeah, it, it's mortifying, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the, the very first time I ever bought condoms, I bought from an adult store. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, just, totally. Like just to get condoms. Yeah. You have to like drag your sorry ass into an adult bookstore or whatever. <laughs> and like also you have to remember too that we had no idea what we were doing. So like like with the internet you can just like search a few things and be like, "Oh, I like this or I like that." And like we had to like make a choice in that moment. Yeah. Like with a creepy old man like staring at us. <laughs> <laughs> who who you assume is passing judgment but really yeah. isn't. Yeah, totally. Like, that guy's numb. He yeah. doesn't care. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's seen it all. Yeah, but the but the condoms were like twice the price of the grocery store too. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And so um and what was the other one? Oh, so smoking versus vaping, right? Uh-huh. If you wanted to smoke, you had to deal with that smell and either covering it up or just live in it. Yeah. Whereas today, like you could I think flavored vapes are banned in a lot of places now. But you know, for a while, it could taste like crunch berries or something. Totally. It's even easier and more attractive and easier accept- accessibility. I feel like we need to put some, like, fake hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> totally. They're like hurdles to, to at least slow them down <laughs> on right. their descent into hedonism. <laughs> Although, I don't think that they're doing that as much either, which is another hmm. interesting thing. At least from what I've heard. And this is completely just, like, word of mouth, not right. any kind of actual scientific research Although I have also read these trends where, like, teenagers these days are less prone to be out doing drugs and having sex and experimenting. And they're more prone to be, like, depressed or, like, cyberbullying each other. Ooh. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. I don't know. That's got to be... What is that? I don't know. That's... uh, Living through this trash world, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it could be a defense mechanism when, you know, you have deadly viruses in the world. Yes. And everyone has a fucking gun. Yes. 
Oh, know. totally. I really think. And yeah. that was something in my book. It was right at the precipice. And this is covered in the John Moore piece, too. Yeah. We were at the precipice of, like, basically the world exploding. <laughs> yeah. Right before the first school shooting, right before 9-11, right before... Um, the financial crash, yeah. and then from there it was just like, oh, like Donald Trump and, you know, the pandemic. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you can <laughs> run down the litany of horrors yeah. that, that we've lived through since, call it 1999, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, this book takes place in a time where, barring a few really, really terrible and unconscionable, con unconscionable things that happen to you, mm -hmm. most of the, like the tone of this book, you're not terribly remorseful about your behavior no <laughs> right and and a lot of it i mean despite it if my own kids sort of went through this i think i'd be a little bit concerned especially like let's put aside obviously the darkest parts of this yeah but most of this kind of hooligan shit you know where, yeah. you're, where, where you're skipping class and you know drinking and you know smoking weed and whatever like that that's all fairly benign but you know you compare that to now where everyone's afraid of fentanyl yeah you know, like the mm -hmm. world just in some ways is so much safer, but in many ways is just way, way worse, which we just articulated. Totally. And that was like, yeah, we were in a safer place. We didn't have to worry about fentanyl or anything in our drugs, but it was also more suffocating if you were different in any way. And so that combination emboldened us hooligans, <laughs> I think. It was that lethal combination. Right. Okay, so after reading this book, and I mean, you've you've said since that your parents are very sweet people and, mm -hmm. and like very caring people, and are uh, just I imagine your perception of them has changed as you've aged. Oh God, yes, and I'm a parent, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> as am I. Uh, my kids are six and eight. Uh huh. So, Mine are nine and seven. Okay, perfect. Uh -huh. So we're like right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if you could go back, and granted, I I don't know. Actually, I'll just ask you this question. Is there a way your parents could have reacted to you or related to you back then mm. that would have changed this experience for you? And would you have even wanted that? That's a very good question. It's like I'm reluctant on one end to answer it because then it's kind of like, oh, they should have done this. And <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to critique their parenting style. All I will say is... Um, and we've actually talked about it even recently because we're super close. Oh, good. Um, although they cannot consume any media about this book. <laughs> it's I'll bet sore, not. It's a sore <laughs> spot. <laughs> like we've just figured out that our relationship works a lot better if we don't talk about this book. So, um, <laughs> so I can speak freely. But at the same time, like, so it's really interesting. Um, I talk about how they were kind of rebels in their own right and they would yeah. never admit that. But like my dad came from this family that was like, fuck education. And his dad was kind of like this Homer Simpson type who was yeah. like, get me a beer and and shut up, boy. Shut up. Exactly. Yeah. And he um, he would even give my dad shit for like getting an education. My dad got a Ph.D. and became this like hyper liberal, like bike riding vegetarian. <laughs> Dude, that is punk <laughs> as fuck. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's super punk. He would never, ever identify as punk. No. Ever. But like also because of that, like and they came from hard backgrounds like his he was raised, you know, in a abandoned schoolhouse and like with a yeah. bunch of siblings like they were poor. And so they didn't feel like they could rebel. You mm -hmm. know, he would just get yelled at 
And so they didn't understand rebellion at all. And so what I was exhibiting was very mild rebellion of just trying to find myself. Yeah. In the beginning, like literally we, the first thing we fought over was dyeing my hair. God. <laughs> and they would not let me dye my hair. <laughs> I fight, I used to fight with my parents over my hair all the time. Yes. Even these days. So it's it, like, it's much, it's toned down now, but I, earlier this year I had much more of a mohawk uh-huh. and my mom looks at me one time and she goes, what are you trying to do with your hair? <laughs> and I go, oh. <laughs> What a how, what a way to frame that yeah. question. But like, yeah, hair was a big deal for them and I didn't get it. Yeah, so. totally. That's the thing is like, and like, then you kind of, you know, just lay your heels. What is the... What dig in your heels. Dig in your heels. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you just dig in your heels um, about something so trivial as your hair. And that's what the battleground becomes. Yeah. And, you know, so like they were also trying to look out for me and in that very sexist society things like you know if i got caught smoking a cigarette then they would say things like well everybody is gonna think that you're having sex with people <laughs> you're like <laughs> like what you're like, like how is that a to b yeah yeah and like the, things like that were very detrimental to me psychologically they had no way of knowing so i'm not trying to point fingers of like like they were repeating what mm. everybody was saying they like the whole culture was shaming women like yeah you know we weren't allowed to wear spaghetti straps or we were asking for it just from wearing a tank top in those days and that still persists yeah like you'll read like some story will go viral about some school dress code that is just such horse shit yeah totally and like we got that at the schools we got that at home and so like it's hard to say like they would have had to have been really progressive to be ahead of their time to respond in a way that would have helped me but i will say like with my kids i'm like i'm trying to set the stage where they can tell me anything and yeah. like if they mess something up i'll actually reward them for coming forward and telling me about it totally <laughs> like i'm not gonna take them out to ice cream about it but i'm gonna be like <laughs> i really appreciate that you shared that with me and then i kind of relate to them like oh i've made that mistake before and blah 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 yeah you know like they were just scared shitless of me <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't have any experience with like w- they thought um for example in the book i was trying to give myself a tattoo yeah <laughs> oh man yeah i and I, I don't think i've ever told anyone this before but i tried to give myself a piercing once <laughs> with a needle and it hurt too bad and i failed and i gave up oh god like attempted and botched um self piercings and self tattoos are like <laughs> Take a rite of passage. Yeah, totally. At least for our age group. And uh, yeah, like my mom, she, she found out about it and she thought that I was like self-mutilating. Oh, like you were cutting? Yeah. Oh. And like, you know, I mean, and I'm sure a lot of people were doing, you know, there's like, that's something that teenagers do, but I was not actually doing that. I was just stupid and really wanted a tattoo. Mm. <laughs> so you got a $12 one yeah, a, at a parking garage. I did. Amazing story. <laughs> Um, and and you wrote it so vividly too, where you and was it Dar? Or was uh, it Tana? Tana. It was uh-huh. Tana. Tana are like locked arms, like back to back, uh-huh. and just so you wouldn't flinch and move. And did I mean, how did that guy do? Was it? Oh, here I'll show you. Oh wow! It's like kind of falling apart. That's actually not too it's bad. Not too bad though. That's really not bad. Like, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like did it scar or like? Yeah, I mean, totally, you have real. You, I mean, I quote unquote real, real ones. <laughs> totally, <laughs> it immediately scarred over where the insides fell out. <laughs> it was like definitely a twelve dollar <laughs> tattoo, <laughs> but it's there. And like I've like talked about getting it covered up, and um, 
I think the consensus is not to. It's like it. It's yeah, a reminder of being so blind with hubris and being 15 years old and you just want a tattoo at any cost that you will pay ten, $12 yeah. to get one on top of the parking garage in downtown Fort Collins. Blind with hubris. <laughs> I really like that because hubris in, you know, in, in Greek tragedies is always like the hero's fatal flaw. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's yeah. teenagers to, to a T. Yeah. Like teenagers always think they're invincible and that they know everything. Absolutely. And like, especially like in our time, we were like kind of sheltered. And like, I always think of our generation as being super fucked because (laughs) uh, we were raised to be like, you're a special snowflake. And then Mm. just thrown off a cliff into like all these horrors. (laughs) (laughs) Melting snowflakes. Into the deep and deep shark infested waters. Yeah. 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 So like, and we've had to adjust, you know, I think we've gotten really hardy um, really quickly and like we used all of our snowflake uh, resourcefulness. So you use the word resourcefulness because I was going to say this tattoo I have on my arm. Oh, this, I love it. Yeah, this big dagger I have on my forearm. This was my second tattoo, by the way. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good one for a second tattoo. Well, I got I got 14 of them in 20 months. Whoa, and the nice. Mo- the most recent one was like two months ago. Nice. So it was a pandemic thing. Uh-huh. And so like this whole, like a whole sleeve here. Awesome. Um, but anyway, this one is resourcefulness is something I had to cultivate in my life. Uh-huh. And so us as kids and teenagers, I just learned to be very, very resourceful. Mm-hmm. And so you do PR for a living. Mm-hmm. I do PR for a living. Mm-hmm. If you're not resourceful as a PR practitioner, you're dead. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Th- that's the lifeblood of what we do. Yep. Absolutely. So, That's interesting. Totally. I've never thought about that before. Well, and I think that comes from like an upbringing where in a lot of ways, like I I had, I had great parents and a great family and Mm -hmm. I'm very close to them. And I never like rebelled in the way that particularly you did, but not even a fraction of that. Mm -hmm. But I still felt like rubbing up against that. And I'll give you an anecdote. One time we were on vacation and my parents bought me like a whole bunch of Nike shit. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I was wearing it. We were out at dinner. It was like New Year's Eve. And my mom made the offhand comment. She's like, we'll turn you into a preppy yet. (laughs) And I remember in that moment, I go, not after saying that, you won't. (laughs) And I went hard the other way. And Uh so I started changing my hair. I started spiking it up like Dickie Barrett from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And like I would start wearing suits to school and shit. Like just just to be, you know, different. And again, like feel something. Yes. And you have to go your own way. Yeah. Like a little offhand comment from a parent like that will stay forever. I have to try to remember that. <laughs> yeah. No joke. Right. Yeah. I was. So I read a, do you know, Brie Davies? No. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, like, She's rad. You and I, it's amazing that I don't think we've crossed paths up to this point. It's crazy. Yeah. Because we like, we have so many mutual connections, but she tweeted recently something like, um, it's funny watching Gen Xers get so bent out of shape when Gen Z calls like one of their tastes cringe. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's perfect. <laughs> when you're young, you got to blow up the older generation. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, and even if you don't mean it, even if you don't believe it, like to fucking burn it down. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> fucking burn it down. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you, yeah, you got to kill your idols. Yeah. And then create the world in your own image, which exactly. is which is why I'm always on the side of youth. Yeah. Oh, me so. too. I want them to have that fire. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if they're like making fun of me. Right. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> going to come make fun of me now and I'm going to cry. But <laughs> no, I, they need that fire. They do. I want them to tell me my taste is lame. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like because they'll come back around. Like I've come back around on so much boomer music. Oh, like, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I've come around in so many ways. And like. Oh, yeah. 
I feel like culture is exploding too, where we're getting to this point where everybody can just like like whatever they want. It's not as segmented yeah. where you're like, these are the metalheads, these are the punks. It's just like everybody is so esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great word. <laughs> Everyone's very, very esoteric. Yeah. Like it hard to pin down. Like yeah. because like I love I love Lizzo. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, like Lizzo's amazing. In the '90s, I would I would never cop to that. Oh, I, there we had guilty pleasures back then where we no really shit, right? it was actually such a guilty pleasure we could not even tell our friends <laughs> <laughs> if we liked somebody like lizzo oh no we would get no. fucking made fun of oh yeah yeah so okay let me ask you this because f- i went through a phase so i hosted the punk rock radio show at kcsu in fort mm, collins mm-hmm. on friday nights it was called the bipolar show love it yeah <clears throat> and for a time i went through a phase where it was either punk rock or it was crap yeah Totally, yeah. Right, and so I found that very, very limiting. And so I went back, I go, wow, I was wasting so much fucking time and energy in this. Yeah. And one of the things you say in the book was you never felt like you actually fit into this punk scene. Mm-hmm. But it, like, it was a group you were closest to identifying with. Exactly. And then you'll talk about like listening to Typo Negative. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I'm curious, looking back on it now, I mean, let's let's say this book is somehow time traveled to current day mm-hmm. right and you, and you could like whatever you liked what were some of the things you would have liked to admit that you liked back mm, then okay that, that could that you couldn't right because it didn't fit into this you know like we gotta like we have to be listening to no effects all the time yeah or yeah. gutter mouth or whatever right oh my god i'll just i'll go to the most extreme versions there are some enya songs that i fucking love <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Like I'll play Enya in the morning for my kids and it's almost like like so ridiculously soothing. <laughs> that everyone like, wants God. to crawl back into bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, God damn it, Enya, you've done it again. I'm so relaxed. I feel like held by your music. <laughs> uh let's see here. You know, I'm I'm so all over the place. I was even saying like if you admitted that you liked Led Zeppelin. I was kind of an old yeah. man. I always have had an old man deep down inside of me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so we would listen to a lot of like classic rock Mm. Um, during that time. I don't know why, because I don't even revisit it that much these days. I wish I would have known more about goth shit. Oh, sure. Because I like literally got into Bauhaus maybe like four years ago. (laughs) And I was just like, what? Like I've known about Joy. I somehow found Joy Division pretty early on. And that is my favorite band. But and so post punk, you know, a little, yeah. but like I didn't even know what they were. So I, I would say that these days I feel if I could relate to one genre the most, it would either it would probably be post punk. Okay. That's like me. But yeah, I'm trying to think what else I would listen to like in private. I had the craziest, craziest mixtapes. Like I would put like Tom Jones on there. Nice. <laughs> I went to Spain in 2000, and Tom Jones had just come out with the song Sex Bomb. Oh, my God. Which I love that song. Yeah, yeah. Yes, totally. Uh, I would love to see that in Spain. <laughs> I, I uh, Someone bought us the CD single for that because uh-huh. so, it was like uh, we were seniors, and you had to be in like AP Spanish mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. And so we went, and they were at a bookstore, and they found it because we found like it was like German MTV oh, uh-huh. that was playing in Spain. And one of the songs that was in heavy rotation at the time was Sex Bomb by Tom Jones. Uh-huh. That and like Bye 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 
by NSYNC and uh-huh. like all the small things. Oh, uh-huh. It was like, and uh, like all great videos, by the way. Like yeah. Visually just stunning videos. And then there was Tom Jones just sort of like <laughs> moving like old, you know? like yeah. He's like Rex Manning. <laughs> <laughs> totally like Rex Manning. I have to show you a photo. We just did a beer pong tournament and my wife and I went as AJ and Corey. From, uh-huh. Oh, nice. And then also in this book, you mentioned doing a lip sync version of Sabotage. Oh, yeah. The year before, we dressed as the cops from that Beastie Boys video. I've been wanting to do a costume surrounding that video. I'll show, that was I'll show you. such an iconic video for us, obviously. Amazing video. Yeah, I will never forget it. And like that is one... Okay, Beastie Boys are one band that have held strong throughout. Because there were a lot of bands that I listened to as a teenager, like No Effects, that I don't really listen to No Effects anymore. I don't especially like No Effects. Yeah, but like then it was just perfect. Or like, you know, Goldfinger or whatever. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't listen to that anymore, but like Beastie Boys, absolutely I can listen to Beastie Boys and it holds up for me. That's one of those bands that's kind of unimpeachable though. Yeah. Right? Like they're cool to everyone. Totally. Yeah. Who is, I don't think I know anyone who's like, fuck Beastie Boys. (laughs) (laughs) If there is anyone, let us know. What a weird hot take that would (laughs) be, right? Yeah. Right. Like, oh yeah, no, I I, I like this. You know, I like uh, Joy Division and I like Arcade Fire and I like, uh, you know, Nas or something. It's like, but fuck the Beastie Boys. (laughs) You go, what happened? Yeah. What (laughs) happened to you? Like, were you diddled while yeah, someone played the Beastie yeah, totally. Boys? Like, yeah, I mean, it would have to be something really specific like that because yeah. I just can't see that. <laughs> no, it's it's just one of those bands that that everyone loves, and rightfully so because their music is amazing. Yeah, um, there was a Futurama joke uh, one time though, where it's like the year three thousand. And Fry goes, oh, man, I had all five of your albums. And he goes, hey, it's a thousand years later, guy. We, we have seven. <laughs> which uh, which I so really funny. liked. So this book, it, it felt to me like I, I felt like I was there because I had, while I wasn't as rebellious, I wasn't like sneaking out and stuff. I definitely hung in a crew that did that. Uh-huh. But I was like, I was the kid kind of like, no, I'm not going anywhere. That's good. That's a perfect balance. I hope my kids are that way. They're like cool enough to be right. like, not cool enough, but you know, they're like <laughs> yeah. adventurous enough to know those people, but they're not being stupid. Yeah. I mean, I remember, and I'm not going to say her name on this because she didn't ask to be here, <laughs> but one of my friends, so we were at like a forensics tournament mm-hmm. and we're just sitting there between rounds and you know, whatever. And she's telling me about all this cocaine she did. Like the previous weekend, I'm like, we're, we're 15. <laughs> yeah, you that's know? hardcore, which and I have a 15-year-old cocaine scene as well. I remember. <laughs> that's, that scene was so harrowing to me because you were just going out to get the mail, right? Yeah, and that's so, how quickly it happens. <laughs> that's crazy. And the <laughs> yeah. fact that you were open to that, though, was, I mean, did you know like what cocaine was at that point? I did. but And I did, I guess I didn't even know... No, I think I did, that it was, like, more serious than weed. Yeah, I was literally, I was in my pajamas going to get the mail. Wow. And my neighbor was like, hey, <laughs> come in. I have something. And I was like, okay. And I and so I did a line of cocaine, and then my mom walked in. <laughs> she yeah. was, like, looking for me because I took too long to get the mail, and she saw the door was open <laughs> to my neighbor's house. And um, <laughs> then I just, like, went back in my room, just, like, staring at the wall all coked out <laughs> yeah well what a bad time to like do it yeah. <laughs> just to go be alone yeah you're like 15 and yeah. like alone in your room and you're like wired yeah completely it wasn't that strong for me actually you know i it's funny um i have only done it a few times in my life and, mm. and it's never really super affecting for me yeah but but um yeah that was a weird 
I thought that was a really good example of how things happened. Yeah. Um, in those days, it was like so unexpected um, and so radical, yeah. <laughs> and how quickly things would devolve. And I think in a way, life is just like that. If you are open to things, yeah. really crazy shit will happen to you. I do I do still experience that. Yeah. But like not necessarily like on a doing drugs level. It's more like almost in a professional way. Like <laughs> 100% agreed with yeah. that. Um, I was recording a podcast for a client and she was hitting it off with her guest. And like we were talking after the show. So I'm like her producer. I produce all these other shows. I have my own show. And we were just talking, and she goes, maybe the three of us could brainstorm something. Like, would you be into that? And I go, if it's okay with the client, because I don't, you know, I'm not here to step on her turf. Mm-hmm. It's okay with me. And so she's like, yeah, absolutely. This is great. And I go, because this is the universe holding open a door for you and going, walk through it, idiot. Yeah. And some people are just like, no, I don't know. Like, oh, my God. I think people don't recognize opportunity when it shows up. Yeah, totally. Right? I guess, so this is one reason why I think... I'm a good memoirist is even more than the writing itself is because um, like something is broken in me (laughs) where I don't have that boundary of like the Uh, no, like most people have an immediate no before they have a yes. I think where it's like, if they're presented with something, they're like, no. And then they're like, well, let me think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I'm just like, yes, right away. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. To my detriment. And it comes with, you know, good stories. But it gets me in all kinds of weird situations. So, like, and I've actually had to learn boundaries Mm. in my life and learn, okay, let's stop. Think about the opportunity. Like, how much is this going to expend of your energy? Blah, blah, blah. All that boring grown-up shit. But, like, yeah, like, from the start, it was always just like, yes. Absolutely, yes. And it takes you in weird places. That's clear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I interviewed a guy on this show who was my mentor for Boot Camp for New Dads. Mm -hmm. He was the coach for that. I don't know if you're familiar with that program. No, but that sounds awesome. It's fantastic. And he was someone who became a master coach with Boot Camp for New Dads Mm -hmm. because he didn't go through the program himself. And Mm -hmm. he said, we all have gifts, and one of my gifts is the gift of confession. Ooh, uh uh-huh. And he talked about how he was kind of a shitty dad Mm -hmm. like early on, and he should have done the program but didn't. And now he gets to tell that story again and again to new dads and hey don't do what i did uh-huh amazing in this way this almost feels like the gift of confession as well glory guitars does oh yeah uh-huh absolutely reliving this and i know your um your uh synesthet uh-huh is that synesthete? how you say it? uh-huh synesthete uh-huh going through this again was like how were the feelings that came up? Because I imagine many of them were very intense. Yeah. How did you handle that? And how did you handle self-care? It's, um, that's a very good question. It was, um, so the title glory guitars is actually kind of like meta commentary on the writing process of the book itself. Because when I first wrote the first draft, it was just to capture the feeling of being alive, the feeling of ditching class and like, because that's like the first chapter. Yes. Like that's you, you get right in there and you're sprinting across a field with like vodka in your pocket. Yes. And and God, like I go, oh shit, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. It was like escapism yeah. for sure. It was like an escapist fantasy for myself. It was completely selfish. Like, and that's why it was so easy to write. It was like yeah. at first. <laughs> um, and then I remember, um, I think it was my friend Leah Charney. She's a writer and she like edits all my books. Like she's always in 
a really helpful um, resource. And she was like, you guys are really cool, but you know, what the fuck? Like you need some more grit here. Like, like tell me something humiliating. And she's like, you know, this is a teenage memoir. I don't see enough humiliation. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know what? You're right. I come. And it's so funny that I did this. I completely like just blocked out all of the trauma which is a psychological thing that we do. (laughs) But like, I'm surprised that I did that still because like I went to school for writing (laughs) where they tell you to dig deep. And so I finally had to go back and like write in all of the trauma, (laughs) which was interesting. And like, it was hard to be objective. It was hard to take that and like make it into art, you know? Um, it was definitely cathartic. Like I wrote it all in a week at the music district in Fort Collins. You which wrote is, it in a week? I did. Like just, wow. it was weird. It was almost like sketching it out. I wrote it badly in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back and like sure. made it better for like a year. Yeah. So um, that's just kind of how my brain works. But I do remember like tears streaming down my face. Like I was like in a coffee shop, just like pouring it all out. And so it was intense, but... At the same time, it was things that I've already dealt with in therapy, and I feel really comfortable talking about it. And so that part wasn't actually as hard and weird as releasing it into the world. Interesting. Yeah. like Say more about it. (laughs) Because I was always used to writing about my trauma. That's how I started being a writer. Um, And so that whole process was kind of, okay, this is nice. And it is cathartic for me. But it became just kind of weird to see it written out in articles. And like Mm. everybody who has written about it, everybody who has done podcasts about it so far, which I feel so lucky, Mm -hmm. um, has handled it like perfectly and written about it with thoughtfulness and compassion and everything and and got it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So it's not like that at all. It's more weird to see it become like something in the press, I guess. Yeah. Well, okay. So I wrote my master's thesis about a theory that essentially anything that's created, whether it's a song, whether it's a movie, whether it's a book, doesn't play to an existing audience. It calls a new audience into being. Mm -hmm. Like the fans of whatever thing or, or the audience for whatever thing is a new constitutive group of people Mm -hmm. that didn't exist in that form until that thing came into existence. Fascinating. Now, the the thing about that is, no matter your intent, and during the creation process, like you can minimize this as much as possible, but once it's out there, it no longer belongs to you. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, maybe that's the weirdness. That is the, in my estimation, that is the weirdness. Because now that this book exists, people are going to experience it and interact with it in ways that you never could have anticipated and in ways that maybe are surprising. Yes. And I, I always use this example because when the White Stripes wrote Seven Nation Army, mm-hmm. I don't think they planned for that to be something that soccer fans chanted <laughs> all over the world. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. But they took that, they saw something in that and decided that that was going to be the thing that they chant during soccer games. Oh, yeah. And there's so many stories about musicians whose songs have been taken by like politicians. Oh, that God. Like, D. Oh, God. Snyder yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is constantly fighting Republicans yeah. for, for their <laughs> use of we're not going to take yeah. it. So I'm guessing that could be where some of the tension comes from because mm-hmm. this is your very, very personal and intimate story. Totally. That now, t- like, in this form, is no longer totally yours. Yeah, and it's it's something that's so intimate 
to you that it feels like intimacy can feel uncomfortable in just that very basic way. And I am very intimate with a lot of people now, (laughs) you know, clearly. Yeah. There are a lot of people who know me very fucking well. And like, it's really funny that I hadn't really thought (laughs) about that until it came out and I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's another example (laughs) of me just like living (laughs) and not thinking about those things. But like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or at least I knew that would happen, but I wasn't like processing it. It's like, wow. And it's actually, it's, it's easy not... to slough off though. Yes, yeah. exactly. And like, because I do have this weird exhibitionist feeling of, I really like putting myself out there and writing. And so it's an exciting and thrilling feeling. And that's what I was feeling at first. The other part, there are positives to it as well. Like it kind of feels sweet and comforting for so many people to know me so well, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's been, um, and uh, you know, it's been really interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's so for me, and I know this, this leads into a question, but if you go on my blog and you, uh, on the John of all trades site, there's a blog section and one of the headings is our infertility story. Mm-hmm. So we went through some like two years of infertility and I wrote pretty, it, it has a happy ending for us. Mm-hmm. We have two beautiful, yeah. healthy little girls. Still super hard. Doesn't end that way for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Totally. So, but when I was writing about it, because I tend to process my, my feelings through my fingers most effectively. Mm-hmm. And so there's everything on there about what it's like to go through an IUI, all the testing you do to stories about me jerking off into a cup. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? But yeah. like that's out there. And mm-hmm. to your point, I sort of underestimated the fact that someone's actually going to read that. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, these are just my thoughts, whatever. Right. But yeah. then, then they start talking to you about it. You go, Oh Jesus God. Like, <laughs> yeah. what did like, you oh just read about me? I'm being perceived now. Yeah. Oh yeah. But so here's the thing. People will come out of the woodwork to tell you how much that meant to them and how soothing and therapeutic that was. And then they'll tell you their story. Yeah. Right. So uh-huh. I'm curious for you as this book has been released, have people come to you with their own stories of teenage rebellion or maybe sexual assault? Oh, yeah. And and how do you handle that? Because you take that on and all of a sudden you're sharing their burden, which lightens the load for them. But all of a sudden you're carrying something that you didn't have to before. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so that's been huge. Um, I'll start with the lighter, funner part is like for sure, like everybody. And that's one reason I wanted to write this is I feel like this is like a brand of story. It's like a kind of lore, teenage lore. Yeah. Yeah. Good call on that. It's like a (laughs) mythos. Yes. And like, I don't know if that has been like covered before in a big way of like those stories sitting around and telling those stories. And that's what we would do in my family. Like, it's really funny. Like my poor parents, my brother would just be like, Hey, do you remember when we had that dinner? I was on acid or whatever. Like, (laughs) I actually made that example up, but you know, like, it's kind of like... But that flavor. Yes, that flavor of story. It's like kind of fun to be like, here's what I got away with as a teenager. Or here are these like really grandiose things that we did. And so I just really wanted to put that in written form. And so everybody tells me those stories of theirs. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. And like my friend, she's like, oh yeah, like she's so, she's a mom. She's so professional. She was like, oh yeah, I was an acid dealer. I was like, what? That's kind of badass and crazy. Uh, So things like that have been really fun. Um, Absolutely, a lot of people have come forward with their stories of sexual assault, especially in my group of friends growing up. Yeah. So I didn't realize, like, how bad. I mean, I did. But when I was in it, I thought that 
all men were like that. I thought that mm. men were just like that, that they had like they were entitled to sexually assault us. And that's because we were surrounded by that. Yeah. Um, and I put that in the book, too. I didn't realize that there were feminist men or that there were men who respected women <laughs> at all. That sucks. Yeah. I was just completely surrounded. And like. Like, my brother and my dad were not like that, but I didn't really know how they were with women. Yeah, but those, they're like, like men in the abstract. Yeah, they weren't real men to me. You're right. <laughs> they were yeah. family. Yeah, no, you're like, <laughs> you know, it's it's like you don't view necessarily your parents as sexual beings. Exactly. You know, yeah. or, or your brother. That yeah. Way. You know, unless you're on, like, the front page of Pornhub these days. Yeah. Right? Which, <laughs> totally. gross. Yeah, gross. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, to your point, like, yeah, yeah they're, they're real men, but you don't view them that way until you're much later. You go, oh, right. You're a more well-rounded person than just my dad or just my brother. Yes, yeah. totally. And I do remember um, reading that teenagers look to their peer group for everything. Like all of a sudden, mm. they, their family is cut off from having any influence on them at all. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> I know. So like my peer group was all, you know, these fucking dudes. And so I remember hearing from a lot of my friends from that time of like, oh, my God, horror stories. I was kidnapped. I was drugged. I was, you know, just like yeah. awful, awful stories. And um you know, it's hard. I mean, we I've actually had to do a lot of um, sort of therapeutic healing, talking to my old friends. Also, there's, you know, people who have died in this book. Yeah. Um, and I wrote about it and I made sure to send it to the people who were closest to them first in order for them to, like, sign off on it. And yeah. that whole process was, you know, really like thorough like I didn't want to just be like here you go <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. have fully gotten back in touch with those friends and talked about it a lot yeah so that part has been heavy but like beautiful I would say yeah. it's been healing but it's it's uh, it's been more than I even thought I would deal with like dig into <laughs> well again I mean once it's out there you never know what's going to come back yeah, totally. So. It's been so interesting. It's been a weird, like, just putting it out there has been an adventure. <laughs> yeah. I want to I wanna bring this forward to the present day because you sort of allude to this, this moment where everyone just sort of realizes they're kind of done with this. And if they're not, you know, they're going to end up kind of off the cliff, right? Mm -hmm. But you go, oh, I don't have to do this to this extreme level anymore. Mm -hmm. So the friend that I mentioned doing cocaine at 15, mm -hmm. um, she's actually been on my show before and shared this whole journey. She's now like a holistic health coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Super healthy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and just like, and has a husband and two beautiful children. And I like, I adore her. She's one of my pals. Um, she's always been one of my pals, but like, doesn't have that sort of defiant streak, you know, like living to push the boundaries and uh, mm -hmm. do that. Why do you think it, it almost comes to a stop in the sudden way that it does? Like what, what was the trigger for you where you go, oh, I don't have to do this to the extent <laughs> that I was doing it? So I think that um, there's two lines from my book that come to mind um, because, and it's dealing with myself and others, but basically people are capable of like hemorrhaging fire for years and then just like tucking it all in politely and <laughs> it's just like a mystery i remember that line <laughs> yes yeah that one struck I've me i've seen that in other people before where you're like what the fuck how did you <laughs> i thought that you were going to die of alcoholism yeah right um and that was something that that's something that people don't talk about and you don't want to encourage people right you don't want to be like oh you can become a total alcoholic and just completely fix yourself really easily no but, like, people do it 
sometimes not even going to AA or something like that. Um, so that was just one example of something I have witnessed. And you're like, I don't know how they did it. And for myself, how did I, you know, stop all this reckless behavior? Um, I think that it was moving out on my own. Like there's a moment in the book where all these like panic attacks started happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You go to the doctor because you thought you were dying. Yeah, I thought I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I ended up at the hospital where I was born. <laughs> so it was perfect. Perfect. Perfect book moment um and like that's when I started realizing I had to be fucking responsible for myself and like my rock bottom was really boring my rock bottoms have always been like just looking around and being like okay I can't escape this (laughs) Hmm. uh like there's nothing to be done but to face this um there's no going anywhere else you just have to be a fucking grown-up. You have to do it yourself. Yeah, that's a shitty feeling. Yeah, totally. It's like I can't imagine my way out of this. I can't run away. I, yeah. uh, you it, know. It's, it's almost like you're looking at a hill and you go, all I have to do is like put one foot in front of the other and walk up this fucking hill and that's boring and hard. Yep. It's as Got simple it. and hard as that. <laughs> and so like it was absolutely that and it was kind of a slow process but um eventually you know once you're responsible for yourself it's like who are you going to rebel against (laughs) (laughs) yeah what am i i'm just hurting myself here it reminds me of uh so early early in this show it was like episode 16 was jason heller oh nice who is just incredible yes he's a good friend and he said you know, punk as a lifestyle is unsustainable and really hard and just chews you up. <laughs> yeah, totally. He said, for people like you, and he's pointing at me, people who do punk as a hobby. Uh-huh. Like... <laughs> he called you a hobbyist? Uh-huh. He's <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm okay with. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Because, it, honest to God, so I was at the Punk Rock Saves Lives Festival down at Ratio Beer Works. Nice. Whenever that was. Uh-huh. And I was hanging out with uh, the Frickashinas, who do the theme song for this other show that I do called Happy Friday. Mm-hmm. And the lead singer of that, I don't know how much he wants me to say this, but is like number two in his company uh-huh. doing really boring but essential work. Uh-huh. And I go, I really like the people who have their shit together and like we're professionals and we have kids and whatever. You talked about, you know, walking around with wine in the, you know, uh-huh. in, the <laughs> in the water thermos, bottle yeah. or yeah. the thermos. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that's me and my wife. too. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. But, but people who like have it together and we're raising good kids. But, like, choose to be dirtbags recreationally. Hell yes. Right? (laughs) That's fun. That's great. Uh Uh-huh. And so, like, the fact that you found that balance now after um, what, at at many moments in this, was very harrowing and fraught to read. Yeah. Is just so cool because I I identify with that very strongly, too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it took um, having a a crazy day job, too. (laughs) Ah. That'll straighten you out, too. Yeah, totally. It's, like, always interesting, always different. <laughs> I, I'll also say this. If you don't prioritize things, things will prioritize themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. So. That's a very wise saying. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. All right. Well, I think now's the time on the show when we wrap up. Where can people find you? Where can they find Glory Guitars? Anything you want to plug, it's all yours. Awesome. Okay. So you could go to gogogermain.com or you could go to Glory dash guitars.com um and find you can order the book it's out now it's available nationwide in all stores anywhere that books are sold trying to be at least yeah, <laughs> amazon barnes and noble but come to mutiny right come it's, to it's mutiny here. it's good yeah they're getting theirs in very soon and we're having 
my last Colorado book release on November 19th. It's awesome. a Saturday. Um, and we're going to have a Riot Girl party. Yes. Um, so there's going to be cheap perfume. Um, a lot of people are talking about how good that live show is. Um, Tammy Shine from Dressy Bessie. She's a local legend. And Hillary Leftwich, who is the author of Aura, a memoir. Um, nice. that just came out and I read it. It's amazing. It made me cry a lot. Um, <laughs> and then we are going to have punk burlesque. Awesome. Oh, wow. That's going to be amazing. Um, and so I'm getting all those details together. So look at my social media. Um, I'm on Instagram at gogo Germain. It might be gogo dot Germain. <laughs> I'll find it yeah. and make sure it's in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and so all the details will be there. And then also lastly, if you order directly from the university of hell website, which is my publisher out of Portland, um, you can get these limited edition, like crazy colors, fun colors. I got purple. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's exactly where I ordered from. I have my purple book, Go-Go. This was an enormous thrill. I adored this book. I could not wait to talk to you as soon as I started reading it. And so thank you uh, for being on the show, and I wish you nothing but continued success. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. And that'll do it for episode 340 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Go-Go Jermaine for taking some time, sharing another piece of herself. She gave so much in this book, and it was a pleasure to get to dig into it with her. I love doing this show. So be sure to check out all of GoGo's stuff. Check out that party on the 19th. As I said in the intro, and as we just covered, it is in the show notes. So no matter what platform you're listening on, you can find them there. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better, communicate more effectively. Whether you're just building a website, trying to reach people via email, social media, web advertising, whatever it is you're trying to do, 4Degrees can get a strategy out there to the people who need to see your message most. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. In addition to this show, I produce eight others, one of which I'm a part of. That's Happy Friday. Give Happy a Friday follow on the socials. That's Happy Friday Den. If you have a show idea, hit me up. I'd love to talk to you about it. Help you get it going. Email us, John, J-O-N, at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Follow John of All Trades on the socials. That's J-O-A-T pod, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Pod catchers everywhere. I'm out of here for this week. Cannot wait to bring another episode to you. Could be sooner than you think. You never know with this. It's weird season. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. So until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.